Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Continuing on in our series in Joshua, we've already seen in Joshua chapters 1 and 2 the Lord commissioning Joshua as uh, Moses' replacement to lead the people of Israel into the land of Canaan, uh, giving him commands to uh, continue to obey his law and meditate on it day and night. Joshua rallies the troops, particularly the uh, Israelites that had settled in the Transjordan, to come with them as they march into the land of Canaan. In chapter 2, we saw the spies that were sent out to the city of Jericho and their encounter with uh, Rahab the harlot. And what they learned from that encounter was that uh, Rahab had heard about all of the uh, reputation of Israel, what they had done, how God had parted the Red Sea and brought them out of Egypt, how he had uh, allowed Moses to conquer Sihon and Og, the uh, kings of the Amorites that lived uh, across the uh, Jordan River. And now the hearts of the people in Jericho and in the land of Canaan uh, broadly were trembling in fear from the people of Israel as they were about to come in. And now we come to Joshua chapter 3, which sees the people of Israel cross the Jordan River. So this is the beginning of the Canaanite uh, invasion by the people of Israel. Let's pray as we begin. Father in heaven, we ask that as we look into this chapter in the next several sessions that you would give us insight uh, through the reading of your word. I pray for your Holy Spirit's conviction in our hearts uh, where we need conviction for uh, his illumination to help us understand the text better. And we pray that we would be encouraged uh, in our own Christian lives by what we read. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read the first several verses of Joshua chapter 3 as we begin, and we will talk about some of the uh, events leading up to the crossing of the Jordan River. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim uh, and came to the Jordan. And they lodged there before they crossed. And it came about at the end of three days that the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. We'll stop reading there uh, for today. Uh, With the spies' report of the people's hearts melting in fear that we heard Rahab give in chapter 2, the Israelites are ready now to invade the land of Canaan. The Ark of the Covenant was to go up before the people being carried by the Levitical priests. This was unusual. Normally, this Ark was in the holiest place 
within the tabernacle. They're going to set off from uh, what's called Shittim here in verse 1 of chapter 3. This is probably uh, an olive grove, some particular spot on the eastern side of the Jordan River that was near the Jordan River where the Israelites were camping. So the ark was going was to go out before them, carried by these priests. Uh, normally, this ark is in the tabernacle. It is uh, contains the mercy seat. Uh, it was thought of as the place where the Lord resided. It was veiled off, so uh, no people could normally just enter into the tabernacle precinct, only the priests. And even within the tent itself, uh, there were two compartments, two chambers. There was an outer chamber, a holy place that contained several uh, pieces of furniture for the priests to perform different functions. It had a table with 12 loaves of bread baked uh, daily and placed on this table to remind uh, the people of the 12 tribes of Israel, and it was put before the presence of the Lord as a symbol of Israel always being in his presence, just as God was in the tabernacle in their presence. It also had a golden lampstand to give light to uh, that inner room so the priest could provide their function. And uh, it also had a small table for uh, incense, an altar of incense to be burned. Uh, this uh, feature was particularly important on the Day of Atonement. Once a year, they would burn the incense. Smoke would fill up the chamber, even the uh, inner room, the Holy of Holies, and then the high priest would enter into that inner room uh, with all of this incense and smoke and uh, perform the sacrifice uh, one time a year uh, um, and offer the blood on the mercy seat uh during that day of atonement. So the ark was a symbol both of the Lord's power and the Lord's presence, but also of the covenant that was made between God and Israel. It's called the ark of the covenant. And it comes to really symbolize the covenant that's made between uh, Yahweh and his people. To uh, think about this covenant, I want to read for us a couple of verses from Exodus chapter 19, where this covenant really is made uh, between God and his people at Mount Sinai. So Exodus chapter 19, reading verses 1 through 8 in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, uh, and this is really the, the covenantal language that's given here. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak 
to the sons of Israel. Now notice in that statement, the Lord is giving them a conditional covenant here. The Mosaic covenant is conditional. Verse 5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. This covenant is elaborated on in the book of Deuteronomy, which explains in much more detail what the people were to do, how they were to act before the Lord, and what would happen if the people did obey the law. They would be blessed uh, and there are a series of blessings given in Deuteronomy. If they did not obey the law, they would be cursed and the Lord would enact judgment on them, and there are a series of curses that are given in the book of Deuteronomy. This is the basic template or setup of God's way of dealing with his people all throughout the Old Testament, uh, from this point on up until the time of Christ. So we see uh, this covenant being made, being enacted, and the ark becomes a symbol, a reminder, visible reminder of God's part in the covenant. Now, in verse 7 in Exodus 19, Moses, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. So this covenant is ratified here on Mount Sinai. The Lord is uh, the king, so to speak, in this uh, uh, covenantal arrangement. And many people relate this to uh, what's called an ancient suzerain vassal treaty. It bears many of uh, the similar features of some of these ancient Near Eastern treaties. Um, the Lord is acting as the sovereign, the ruler, and uh, with his vassals, the people of Israel is making this covenant. He has the power, he has the authority, and he says, if you will act in this way, then I will do this and this and this for you. And the people come back after Moses says, uh, all the words that the Lord has given him, and they say to um, uh, Moses and to the Lord, yes, we will do it. We will act in this way. So the covenant is enacted. In Exodus chapter 24, we see the Ark of the Covenant being constructed, and uh, we won't take the time to read through these verses, but you can read through uh, just the way the Lord wanted it set up, uh, in Exodus chapter 24 and verses 10 through 22. So the Ark of the Covenant is going out before the people as they're going to cross over the Jordan. And uh, he says, uh, he's told, when you see the Ark of the Covenant in verse 3, of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be a distance between you and it of about 2,000 cubits, maybe 1,000 yards or so by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. They're to leave this distance between themselves and the ark because the ark is the symbol of God's power of God's presence. It's holy. It cannot be approached. Now, the question arises here, and, and I don't think it's make ex made explicit in the text. 
Uh, is the ark visible? You know, normally the ark would be within the Holy of Holies. Nobody could ever see this thing. After it was built, it was placed there. And so the people haven't seen this object for 40 years. Even when the tabernacle was moved, uh, according to Jewish tradition, they would fold the tent in. So the coverings would continue to cover the Ark of the Covenant as they carried it. They would be able to surely see the poles as their priests were holding it and carrying it, but it would have had this uh, um, uh, covering over it so that the glory, the gold uh, of the Ark was not visible. Perhaps uh, that is what is occurring here as the Ark is taken out of the tabernacle and uh, will be used to carry into the Jordan River. It's also possible that they allowed it to be seen at this point. It's not made uh, explicitly clear for us here. Uh, in Exodus 19, the people are told to keep their distance from Mount Sinai before the giving of the Ten Commandments. And I think there's a lot in these two passages that correspond in the minds of the people, especially for Joshua and Caleb, who would have been in both places and old enough to remember everything that was going on. Uh, there would have been a lot of connections here in their minds. Uh, Joshua says in verse 5 to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Again, this is probably looking back to Exodus 19, where the people are told to consecrate themselves before the giving of the law. How would they consecrate themselves? Uh, Bible commentator David Howard Jr. says here, Their proper preparation would have included extensive and rigorous ritual preparation, including thorough washings, abstinence from sexual relations, and from certain foods. So this is similar to what God told the people to do while they were at Mount Sinai. And Joshua says, uh, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. In verse 5, he says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. These are going to be miraculous signs, just as the Lord had brought the people out of Egypt, crossing through the Red Sea, he was going to now do something miraculous again, so that everyone would know exactly who he was. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu partner.